If you had the keys, you looked at things a, a whole lot differently than if you didn't have the keys. Hi, everyone. I'm Andrea Howry, and welcome back to the Ventura County Stars podcast, Never 30, where we look at timeless stories from the county's past. We named the podcast Never 30 because reporters used to type a 30 at the end of a story to let the typesetter know that there were no more pages, that the story was done. But there are some stories that have no ending. You can type to be continued or part two to come, but never 30. Camarillo State Hospital opened in 1936 at what is now California State University Channel Islands. It covered more than 1,600 acres tucked into the base of the Santa Monica Mountains, five miles from Camarillo, between the city and the ocean. At one point in the 1950s, it had more than 7,000 patients and nearly 2,000 employees. That made it the largest hospital west of Chicago. The state bought the land for the mental institution in 1932, paying just $257 an acre. The hospital's construction was a public works project that put unemployed men to work during the Great Depression. The thing about Camarillo that's really interesting is we were built to uh, relieve overcrowding. And then we actually became overcrowded within just the first five years. This is Evelyn Taylor, the archivist at CSU Channel Islands. She started her job in 2000, three years after the last door was locked at Camarillo State Hospital on June 30th, 1997. So I got to see the hospital in all its glory, which was really kind of cool. And um, it was pretty awesome. And to see the university start from that was, was really fantastic as well. Through the years, Evelyn has collected oral histories of the people who called Camarillo State Hospital home. And don't get that wrong, many people who lived at the hospital weren't patients. They were staff and administrators, all living on the sprawling hospital grounds. I originally lived on the grounds. What was that like? That was like living in a college dormitory. This is Susan Grancy, who worked at the hospital from 1970 until it closed. I was 18, and you had a dormitory type that had the bathrooms down the hall. The males were on the top, the females were on the bottom. And then you could move up to your own room, I mean, your room with the bathroom. So you had to like get on a list and wait for an opening, but they were all $25 a month. (laughs) But that was 1970. I mean, it was still a good deal. The remote location of Camarillo State Hospital allowed for a farm and a dairy, so the hospital could be self-sufficient in terms of food. And though not always successful, it deterred patients from walking off the unfenced grounds. I mean, we're sort of out in the middle of nowhere now, Can you imagine what it was like 20 years ago, 40 years ago? Not a light to be seen. There were mixed reactions to that. Whenever I'm doing an oral history with someone who worked at Camarillo, one of the first questions I ask them in the opening is, tell me what you thought about the drive-in. Because I can't even imagine, you know, what they were thinking. Number one, like, what have I done? Many of them say to me, you know what? I didn't think I was going to last two weeks and I've been here for 20 years. So they come in and they see, you know, all this beautiful agriculture 
and they're all on the, you know, the windy road and, you know, it's beautiful with all the sycamore trees and they come up into campus and it's gorgeous with all the, uh, the jacaranda uh, trees and, and just, you know, everything is, is really beautiful and green. And they see all of the different gardens that we have and the openness. And it, it must just do something to their soul just to see all of that beauty that it, it, it says to them, you know what, this, this might just work, I think. And it, it did because, you know, I, again, people stayed. And when they had an opportunity to leave, they stayed. And, and, it, and you had to really have, I think, loved your job in order to stay. Because it's a tough, tough job, no matter what you did. It was a tough job. And to be able to, to stay here really shows your dedication and that you cared about somebody, you cared about someone more than yourself. Because it really required that, I think, to work here. The isolation and close living quarters made for long-term friendships. More than 20 years after the hospital closed, staff members still hold an annual reunion. How many people usually go? Um, we have about 150. So it was a very tight-knit group because it's been closed now for nearly 20 years and 150 yeah. people still get together. Yeah, and they come from all over too. Yeah. Now, were the patients allowed to socialize between one another? Were oh, there romances? Absolutely. Were there? Oh, sure, absolutely. Were there yeah. marriages? I don't know if there was marriages, but we had several romances. Absolutely, among yeah. the patients. Yeah. Were there any romances? Patient. Well, I'm sure there were a lot of romances among staff. Oh, of course. Yeah, pain place. <laughs> <laughs> The patient population at Camarillo State Hospital changed through the years. And when it first opened? Well, if you looked to have a developmental disability in the early years, you were automatically moved over to a mentally ill umbrella. So there was no real distinction in the early, you know, in the early time. There weren't names for many of the illnesses, syndromes, and disabilities we've identified today. Seniors with dementia and children with schizophrenia shared the hospital grounds with patients who were blind and deaf and on the autistic spectrum. Alcoholics came and went, including one woman who stayed for four months in 1939 and wrote a book about her experience. Referring to the restraints used on the patients, she titled her book, They Call Them Camisoles. In the actual beginning, beginning, everybody was sort of thrown together. The women were on one side, the men were on one side, and I haven't found a lot of information about how they treated the earliest patients. They started probably in the 60s maneuvering illnesses and age groups and that sort of thing around. So they, they, uh, they underwent at least a couple of times that I can tell sort of a, a revolution in how they wanted illnesses to be addressed or patients to be addressed. So they um, developed programs. By the time Susan got to Camarillo State Hospital in 1970, treatment methods had evolved. The place was totally divided. The mentally ill were on one side, and the mentally retarded, later developmentally disabled, were on the other, and they weren't separated by sex, males and females. They were together, mostly. Patients learned job skills. We had a workshop where they got paid, and gosh, we made um, wind chimes that were sold in Solvang 
And gosh, I wish I had some stuff. <laughs> the patients here did amazing pieces of artwork. They were unbelievable, and, and many areas around town would display them. You know, they had exhibitions all the time for the patients um, to display their artwork. It was paid for. Uh, I, I mean, you know, they were, it was bought and sold. We had a crew that went to Mervyn's. I think that was in the 80s. And that was really cool because they went and they worked there and they hung clothes and they did all kinds of stuff. But that kind of faded away when I got into vocational, they weren't doing that anymore. But we had one client that worked at Carl's Jr. and he messed up, so I kind of ended that program. <laughs> there were field trips. We went all over the place. I took a group to watch the dating game once. The taping of it? Yes. <laughs> and we went to Disneyland often. We went all over the place. Or they just went out. How you felt about Camarilla was really dependent on who you were when you were here. So if you were forced to be here, you were probably not going to be really thrilled with anyone who was keeping you here. You know, you just weren't going to be happy. If you came here voluntarily, which a lot of people did for treatment programs, then you were going to have a different attitude. And it really has to do with whether or not I think you could leave or not. That was the whole thing. As, as a former employee uh, said to me, it depends on who had the keys. If you had the keys, you looked at things a, a whole lot differently than if you didn't have the keys. Let's take a short break. Hi, podcast listeners. I'm Michelle Rogers, Consumer Experience Director for the Ventura County Star. If you love listening to great stories like I do, the Ventura Storytellers Project has an all-new season of great live storytelling events planned for 2019. With four shows scheduled in the 2019 calendar, new themes will include stories of love, adventure, family, and much more from people in the community, just like you, and at locations across Ventura County. Tickets and information about these live events are available now at storytellers.com slash Ventura. Each of our previous shows have sold out, so get your tickets in advance. You can also purchase supporter seating to ensure you have a spot at every one of our shows for the upcoming season. I hope you'll join us. Just visit storytellers.com slash Ventura. Before the break, we heard former Camarillo State Hospital employee Susan Grancy talk about what it was like to work at the hospital before it closed in 1997 and was converted into California State University Channel Islands. She started there in 1970 as a psychiatric technician, having graduated from the first ever psych tech program at Ventura College. My original psych tech class, the first one at Ventura College, we started with 80 people and people didn't know what it was because I was trying to get in the RN program. And she said, oh, you're too young. Here, why don't you try this new program? And so I'm sure a lot of other people, not knowing what we were getting into, we started with 80, we graduated 18. <laughs> it was a 15 month. <laughs> and then did all 18 go to work at, at Cameron State? Yes, they did. And there was two of us left at the end. <laughs> Residents from all over Ventura County have stories about visiting the hospital. I can't tell you how many people to this day contact me and tell me, you know, when I was a kid, I used to come here and uh, I was in marching band, or I was in the choir, 
or I mean one of the librarians here was telling me the other day how his Boy Scout troop came here and performed and did different things all of the time. Mike Morgan has lived in Camarillo for 56 years, moving from Texas when he was a young teenager. We used to go out there and play softball and we had a couple concerts I went out there with, you know, to help set up for them. Those mainly were the main things, coming up and trying to do something that would entertain the troops, I call them out there, you know what I mean? From the moment that Camarillo opened, there was this sense of community and the sense of, I don't know, um, friendship and, you know, what we can, we can do this together with different groups of charities, volunteers, people just got involved. And of course, many of them got involved for the children's sake and through Christmas parties and, you know, Santa would show up, they bought them tons and tons of toys and gifts and, you know, they had celebrities who came and, it w you know, they would throw all sorts of parties and all sorts of things. But it wasn't always about the children. Uh, people realized that, for instance, you know, the women here at Camarillo, you know what, let's try to do something wonderful for them. So let's organize different groups of teenagers from um, Los Angeles who want to volunteer, have them come out to Camarillo and we'll give the women beauty tips. Show them how to apply makeup, let's cut their hair, let's you know see if we can dress them up a little. And the women just loved it. That sort of thing also gave them, gave them the self-awareness that they needed and the confidence and the fact that you know they were valuable even though that they were in Camarillo that they were valuable as a person someone else took interest oh my gosh there's so many instances where various groups you know took to Camarillo and just really wanted to make things better for the patients here just all sorts of different things and this is up until the to the closing and this is why it was the closing of Camarillo was so painful the closing of Camarillo State Hospital it had been a long time coming with the push to deinstitutionalize the mentally ill and decentralize the state hospital system. Mike Morgan, who served 38 years on the Camarillo City Council, remembers what those days were like. Then they sent a board, a, 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 their, uh, I can't remember what the name of the committee was, from Sacramento to explain to us why they're closing it. So I went out to the uh, meeting, because I was mayor at the time, and uh, along with me came some Chamber of Commerce people and we listened to what they had to say. That's when they told us that it was costing them $100,000 a person per year to keep that open. And so then we realized, oh shoot. But they said to us, we've got another proposition that might work just as well. And they said, we'd like to bring a forensic facility here. Well, being law enforcement, I was a federal officer at the time. I know what forensic means. That means the guys that can't make it in regular prison because they're bad, they're, they have problems. And so they bring the, they want to bring that kind of institution here to Camarillo. And we even saw the wire or the walls they're gonna put along the mountains and stuff to hold these people in. Well, of course that didn't make us too happy. So right away as we walked out the door, I told my committee, I said, how'd you guys like to see a college here rather than a prison? Oh, that's a great idea. That's that day we formed a committee. 
as programs were leaving and the reality sunk in. I mean, there were still employees saying, we're not closing, we're not closing. Because the rumor was floating for, gosh, a couple years. Do you think that closing it in the whole big picture of mental illness and treatment in the United States was closing it the right way to go? No, I don't. Having been a federal officer and a county probation officer for 28 years almost, um, the people that you see roaming the streets now that are, that are uh, what would you call it, homeless? It's not the homeless of the old days. We had a, a, a report for the county report. You know, every year you get an update of what's going on in the county and how, where we are and everything. But we got statistics showing the number of homeless here in Camarillo ranges from 39 to 49 right now. Um, six, or what was that, 38% they're saying in this report are mentally ill. So we need a place, maybe not as extensive as a state hospital, we need a place that we can have these people go and be treated and helped if possible. Obviously you wished it, has, it had not closed. Absolutely. We were the best anyway. We were, we were so far above everybody else. But one of the saddest things was the first thing they took out was the Olympic-sized swimming pool that was just totally redone within the last year or two before that. But that's where the math and science building went. So there's, and then they took out my first unit <laughs> where our sensory deprived were, and they put something else in there. <laughs> so like little by little as they were knocking things down. When I uh, arrived here, there were a lot of buildings which had not been touched really at all that it looked like. So it was, um, you know, they were very, they were dusty. We had birds, we had squirrels, we had, you know, we could have had a zoo. Um, they had just simply hadn't been touched. Two things I was told. One is never, ever, ever go alone to a building where, that has not been renovated and is occupied. Because the doors, one door, you could open the door, but if that door shut, you couldn't get back through. So good luck with that. And I've heard many a tale where somebody said, I'm going here. And then two hours later, they're like, have you seen so-and-so? And they're like, no. So then there's a search party that goes out for so-and-so. And uh, the other thing is, is that don't go trampsing around on campus, especially where there's not grass and sidewalks because of there's rattlesnakes. So we just make sure, you know, you don't go off the beaten path. Are you glad it became a um, university instead? Oh, I think it's a beautiful university. It's a beautiful spot for a university, yes. That, that is a good choice. We tried our best to keep that hospital here, but the best usage, if not a hospital, of course, is the university. Never 30 is a property of the Ventura County Star, a member of the USA Today Network. I'm your host, Andrea Howery. The show is co-produced by me and Anthony Placencia, who also serves as the show's technical director. The news director of the Ventura County Star is Darren Peshka. Our consumer experience director is Michelle Rogers. For this episode, special thanks to Evelyn Taylor and CSUCI, Susan Grancy, and Mike Morgan. If you enjoyed this episode, please visit Never 30 in the iTunes store and leave a review. And don't forget to invite friends to listen. 
I would also like to invite our Ventura County listeners to support this podcast by signing up for a print or digital subscription to the Ventura County Star. Just visit subscribe.vcstar.com to see all our special offers. That's the end of season four. Thanks for joining us on Never 30.